Hello. Uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Renaissance Podcast, episode four. Um, joined by Mr. Sean Hill, general partner of Puente Ventures, um, managing partner of August Hill, uh, one of the, I'd say, I'd yeah, I'd say one of the one of the most prominent um, venture capitalists, certainly within the prop tech world in the last ten years, um, and a very good friend of mine. Um, a man with amazing insights into the startup world, what we do, um, Mexico as as a market um, and a, and a, and a country in general. Some further insights into Latin America and a whole lot more. Sean, it's a real pleasure to have you here, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Chris. Thanks for for having me. I'm, I'm excited to join the podcast. A little disappointed that uh, I'm number four on uh, you know you, you you waited, but I guess. You had to work the kinks out before you got to be, so I, I won't. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. You d- you didn't want to be the one at the start <laughs> with the rambling seven minute intro, so okay. you yourself lucky. That's good. That's good. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, yeah, I mean, excited to talk about a whole bunch of things. You tell me where you want to go, and and um, yeah, I hope uh, I have the ability to uh, <laughs> entertain and inform the audience about that. So. Oh, I find you funny enough, so that's all, that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so why don't we um, why don't we start at the beginning, uh, so to speak, um, and and just talk a, talk a little bit about your background, like from the start, um, who you are, your career, how you got into VC, um, and lead us up to, to, I guess, to the place of just before you moved to Mexico. And then we can dive into that in a bit more detail. Sure, sure. Well, I was born in my, no, no, that's not right. So wait, oh, so, okay, just, all right, I'll start there. Um, I always find this question interesting for someone, especially that didn't take the straight and narrow path. I think, you know, if you would have asked me what venture capital is, when I was coming out of my New Jersey State School in, you know, 1998, I would I, I would have laughed. Um, and so when people ask me about how you get into venture, things like that, there is no defined path. Uh, yes, there's probably a preferred path for many funds. Uh, feels like Ivy League school, some sort of investment banking in, in a major metropolitan area, maybe some private equity and some internships and MBAs and, you know, figure out how to get in there. But I heard a stat once before that 40% of partner level and above uh, have come from Harvard and Stanford. So good luck trying to get in. Uh, and I always tease, and I, and I said this to my university when they raised their phone, is I think I'm the only state school kid from New Jersey that, uh, you know, that made it this far. So you can take different paths. And I think my path was one of um, operator. And I think... You have to, I had, I had a, a friend ask me how his son should do it. And I said, I think there's a fork in the road that you have to get to early on to go down. I'm going to be an investor and investment and financial path versus operating path. And you can take both. Uh, the financial path is probably the more straight and narrow, but it's also the more competitive. Yeah. And the operator path is either operate at startups and help them scale or start your own thing. And so, you know, I took the, I took the, the ladder and it was 10 years in the, you know, banking, 
before from 98 to 2008, the great recession happened. And I said, Oh, was okay. that because of you or was it? <laughs> well, it, it was because of me, actually, because I worked in secondary markets at a non-prime lending partner. So if, if anyone's watched a big short, that's exactly what, what happens. And so funny story there, Chris, I'll make it short. But my job was to was to take loans that we couldn't sell in the secondary market and collateralize and quote unquote fix them. And I used to get a box or two a month and that started turning into hand trucks and started piling up in my office. So I said, okay, it's time to leave. So I wasn't that smart, but I had my signature on, on billions of dollars worth of loans. And I said, I better leave before the tsunami happened. So what happens is you get out of that and no matter how good you are, no one will make that, uh, make that make us sympathetic towards you here. Sean. Yeah, there we I, go. I, I understand how that goes, but yeah. maybe some people listening wouldn't. Yeah, like, I mean, I how think. Does, how does that happen? Like, how how does how are you allowed to do that within established financial institutions? Yeah, I think you know the the questions have been asked over the last you know since that time. How did it happen, and and what was the cause, and. People will point to Wall Street and people will point to the banks and people will point to the borrowers and people with, you know, it's just a combination of all of it. I, I think there is certainly liability on Wall Street. There's certainly liability on banks. There's certainly liability on loan officers. There's certainly liabilities on two teachers in California making a combined $100,000 buying a $2 million house because they can qualify for it. So you know, I, there's a lot to go around. The books and movies have been done already. It's just, it's interesting to have a front row seat to a tsunami. And, uh, you know, the interesting part about it was I was a great operator and I got to learn. I was the youngest VP at my bank and like, it didn't matter because when, you know, when the shit hits the fan, like we've seen adventure, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, how great it is, you know, you sort of get lumped into it, into, um, into a bucket. And then I had to figure out how to get out of that. And so, I'd done so I'd worked in real estate related stuff and that just turned into a really low paying, but high opportunity job at a private equity fund, helping them acquire real estate technology. I had no idea about software. I just knew real estate and I could sell. So, you know, I spent seven years working my way up from a sales manager to a GM and uh, luckily DocuSign came calling and you know, recruited me sort of pre-IPO and, and an East Coast kid, you know, grew up in New Jersey going out to Silicon Valley. I had never heard of venture. I didn't know what a startup was, you know, but all I knew is when I got there, all the, all the food was free and all the drinks were free. And I was like, this is cool. And it looked like the movies. And I worked in the same block as Google and Facebook and Apple and Microsoft. And, and I mean, I got free lunch every day by chefs and Starbucks, you know, like, and it was just awesome to be in that environment. I couldn't believe everything was free. And so it was my first taste of startups and like what it was like. And, you know, this was a series B or C or D, but in 2015, it was amazing to be in San Francisco at a large tech company and doing that. And that's what really got my appetite, you know, you know, just sort of into the startups. I was very fortunate. I was with my boss and the CFO and on the first, like literally one of my first days, we were at a conference and I met a woman and, and I said, what do you do? And she said, I'm an investor. And I said, what do you invest in? And she says, I'm on your board. <laughs> I said, great. Can I, buy, can I buy you a glass of wine? That was my only response. Cause that's, I was at a bar and it was a girl, you know, a woman, sorry. And I was, you know, like that was, that was a natural response. And she said, yes. So one of the few times that happened. So 
we just started talking and, you know, and she, and we just became friends and she, little did I know, you know, had her own fund and we kept in touch over the years and she saw what I did. And then she said, Hey, do you want to be in venture capital? And honestly, my response was, I don't know what that is, but it's going to be really cool to tell a girl at a bar again. Do you notice a common theme? So I was like, I can't wait to tell my mom and my friends and, you know, you know, as single at the time, like that I'm in venture capital. And I had zero idea what that was, except I had worked for startups. So, you know, all that came down to like, was that the chosen path? You know, when I stepped out to get that diploma, like you don't know where life's going to take you. And then I got to venture and I said, oh my. <laughs> right. And so everyone's from Harvard or Stanford. And I learned when I got to DocuSign, everyone went to Berkeley and, and, and all these other places. And I was just like, man, I'm so out of place. But, you know, I think it's intimidating to be in startups in the Valley. It's intimidating to be in venture. Luckily, I was in Chicago and it, you know, it was a little cooler. And, and like, and it just takes you a while to realize that you're, you know, you're smart and you have all these other things and you just took a different path to get there. So, it certainly wasn't the straight and narrow and that led into, you know, becoming a partner at the firm. And then I just had to do, you know, and I said to her, I said, what do I need to do? And she's like, just do what you do. Just do it for our portfolio companies. Instead of doing it for one company, do it for a hundred. And then it just made me really relaxed. And I said, okay. Kind of va it validated. Yeah. And, and it was like, okay, someone gives you a chance. You always need, you know, you always need a chance and, and all those things. But it just went back to my muscle memory of let me do the things that I've been doing for the past 20 years, 18 at that time, like, but I, let me do it for a bunch of different companies. And that excited me because I had done it for one company or I had done it for other things. And then I didn't really have to worry about venture capital. I just had to have someone else <laughs> look at the deal. I used to call it the, the BS test. You know, the investing partner would bring me the deal and I would say this financial doesn't make sense in the real world. These founders aren't great managers and just do the things that I was, that I, that I wanted to, that I was good at just in a different spot underneath this umbrella of venture capital. And if, and people trusted me because they know I had done it before. And then I found what I really liked was the opportunity to work with these founders. And so I was always a little bit, yeah, I mean, I was always a little bit sort of envious of the founder that went out and slept on the couch, ate ramen noodles, figured it out, grinded it out. Everyone told them they were wrong and then they were right. And they made a whole bunch of money and they're sitting on a yacht. Like that's not everyone's story, but you know, but at least that was there. So that, that got me to a really great place. And then two things happened. I found my niche with the founders and our relationships and my operating experience. And then I also got opened up to a world where I think my first meeting was like at the Brookfield offices on Madison Avenue. And like, I'm overlooking the Statue of Liberty and I'm in this big boardroom. And I like, can't wait to tell my mom that like, I made it, <laughs> you know, like, and I'm in the room with all of these, you know, multi-million dollar New York suits and like still the, 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 the state school kid from Jersey, like made it. And that was the first time that I felt like, oh, okay, I'm here. And then, you know, and then you, just revert again back to the muscle memory of just do what you do well, does it matter and not be intimidated by it. So that's that's how I got to venture. It's a long, strange trip. It's not on any, you know, it's not on any written book on how to do things. It's just be in the right place, get the right skills. And, you know, when the opportunity comes, take advantage of it. So, yeah.
Yeah, I, I think it's it's one of those industries where like nobody really even knows what it is, but you kind of fall into it if you have the right expertise and you have the right, I don't know, like level of just like commitment to commit your life to something, to yeah. helping companies from the outside of, of like the outside of like the corporate world, if you like, to grow and if you're lucky enough, you get to work with companies who are really having a positive societal impact and doing shit that like really changes things. Like, and that, but it, it's not, people think anything to do with finance is like, it's an easy job. It's, it's probably one of the hardest jobs you can do in terms of like self sacrifice and like, it's not as sexy as everyone thinks it is for sure. And I, really and, I, and I get the, it's one of those things where it is in the movie, it's sexy, right? And in reality, it's not, it's, you know, it's, it's scouring through hundreds of deals and telling people no and, you know, and all of that stuff to, to find one that you think is great and then do it all over again. And then through, you know, and then just hope and you know, that you don't lose, that you don't lose money, you know, and there's, cause there's so many things that are out of your control. So. But you don't just chuck some change in and like hope for the best. Like, you know, if you're someone like you, who's very active with their portfolio companies, like you've got to fucking get in there and get your hands dirty and really take that company from an idea, which may have some good tech, may have some traction, but you've got to take it by the scruff of the neck and drag it through the process. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, and we could talk about sort of the, the, iter, you know, the, the iterations after, you know, after the, the venture fund, but I think there's, you know, there's a couple schools of thought, right? There's just put a bunch of money out and a lot of different things play the game. And as we call it, spray and pray. And like, that's not the worst way to do it. Like people talk like it's so bad, it is a numbers game and sometimes you just can't control it. Right. So there's like, let me invest in a lot of things. Something's going to hit only one has to hit and I'm, everyone makes a lot of money. So I'm going to do a lot of, you know, I'm going to do a lot of those things. And there are some that like, I'm going to do a few of those things and I'm going to operate very closely with them. And even when you do that, and that's my school of thought, market conditions and interest rates and macro stuff and wars and all, you know, like all this other stuff that you didn't think was going to happen. And, pandemics and whatever it is like you just can't control that and you can have the best idea and the best founder and the best go to market and the best blah 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 and all that stuff and like COVID happens and you're like wow <laughs> you know or, or or you know or whatever supply chain or you know whatever the thing whatever the thing is not the hundred year you know black swan event but like so it's everybody has their own thesis and you know it's just like most things in life a lot of it's preparation some of it's luck <laughs> and there's some other things that, that happen in between. So, so let's, yeah, let's, let's get to Mexico because like, that's the main thing that I want to talk about. And I know you want to talk about it as well. Like we're both very passionate about the country and about LATAM and the opportunity there and not just like opportunity from an economic standpoint, but from, I guess, a technological development standpoint and a societal development standpoint. Like Mexico is an amazing example of an emerging market at the moment where you go there and everything is, that the energy there is so positive around startups, around the ecosystem, around an economy that's actually growing in like a serious way. 
Um, but it's somewhere more over in the Western Hemisphere when we can maybe relate to it a little bit more. Like we looked from afar at China for a long time as the like ultimate emerging market. But, you know, there's a lot of things wrong with it. And I think a lot of people don't really understand. I think Mexico is a little bit closer to, um, you know, to, to our to our cultures and, and certainly more of an influence on our culture um, in the West, if you like. Like, why did you why did you go there in the first place? And uh, like, what took you there? When was the first time you went there? And when did you really decide that you wanted to go there, set up a consulting firm, set up a venture fund? What really grabbed you about Mexico in the first place? Yeah, you're going to make me tell the story, aren't you? So I like, I, I, yeah, no, I mean, I, I'd love to have some glorious story of how, you know, I met someone or did something or like ended up or saw the macroeconomic, like, it was literally the pandemic. I was sitting in my high-rise apartment in Chicago and I was like, I have to get out of here <laughs> or else I'm going to go crazy. And, you know, that was, where could I go? First time I met you when you were living in that apartment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and first time was, I met you. I was a video call. And I was, then you were like, I've got to get out of here. I was like, come to a Yeah, visa. I mean, it gets dark <laughs> at 3 p.m., you know, like all that stuff. And I'm like, I can't ride my Peloton anymore. Like I'm going insane. And, and you know, for better or for worse, you know, Mexico kept their borders open and, you know, allowed tourism and many people discovered that what I call the real Mexico, you know, it was not, not the Yucatan, not Baja, but like, they just came down to places like Oaxaca or they came down to Mexico city or Monterey or just other places. And, you know, for me, I was, I had some friends, I came down to visit for four days and like many expats left five months later. <laughs> And like, what happened? And you say, why do you like it? And there's just a different feeling here. I, I, I say it's, you know, it's in the soil, it's in the tierra. Like it, there's something that makes you feel like you're here. And then the more you get to know it, um, it's the people. And as if you take the investor out before, you know, Mexico, I was talking to my, my, my Nigerian friend in, in London, uh, we're, you know, we're talking about other places, talking to a guy from India today, like Colombian friends, places like that have a reputation. They have a, you know, they have a PR problem. And I lived in Chicago, which, you know, when people talk about safety, it's the murder capital, of the, you, know, you know, you know, or I grew up around Philadelphia or Baltimore, or Camden or all these other places. And so, you know, when you get under the headlines in many emerging markets, Yes, there are, you know, there are dangers, but I think as Americans now, we understand that, you know, there's, there's danger everywhere. And when you get to the people, part of it was the things that people were building here from a startup perspective, the everyday Mexican was using. <laughs> and so it's not like when I was in the U.S. and it's like, oh, let's go build some middleware software for banking that enables a, a transaction to go two seconds faster. I don't know. Yeah, I'm making it up. Or like in Mexico, when many people don't live within two hours of a bank or a hospital or have services. And they're like, oh, this thing, I can now receive money from my relatives in the U.S. And I can go buy goods and services. And I can actually have a package come to my house. And I can get healthcare benefits that I couldn't. So all the things people were building here changed 
regular people's lives on a daily basis. And that to me was the most satisfying thing of, okay. And I never came down here to be an investor. So the, the, the thing that you can do is you can leave a place better than you found it. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to come down here for warm weathers and the tacos that I love, how can I leave the place better than I found it? Cause I, I still didn't know I was going to live here. So it was meeting with the funds, meeting with founders. How can I be helpful? Here's my experience. What do you guys need? How can I do that? Because I just didn't want to be, I've, I've traveled 40 plus countries. I never want to, you know, I always want to get into the culture of it. And, and if I could be helpful just by being helpful, just by being present, that was the thing. And so that led into, you know, connecting my venture network globally to, to, to Mexican startups, to finding out, you know, who these startups were, why they were building the things they were doing, what are the challenges that they face? And I could tell the challenges that they face because when you spend any time in an emerging market or third world or whatever you're calling it, <laughs> the efficiencies that we are used to in many, you know, quote unquote, and I hate calling that first world countries, they're just not there, you know? Yeah. So, and that's the simple part of, you know, buying a phone or ordering food or, you know, the very simple things, getting internet service or, you know, or, or whatever those are. And so you start to feel the pain being here and many of the locals are just resigned to the fact that things are inefficient. They're like, oh, that's just Mexico. And I'm like, it can't be that way. And so part of it was like, can I, you know, one, can I just bring more capital to the region? Because it's always been capital strapped between credit and interest rates and all those other things. So let me just help do that. And then let me dig in a little bit more. And so I kept, I sold my place in Chicago and I just kept coming back to this place because of the people, because of the, you know, you've heard me say this before, la gente, la comida, la cultura, like it really is the people, the food and, yeah. and the culture that makes you, that makes you love this place. And it is, it is not, it's not always easy and things are messed up and, you know, all these other things. And, but those three things kept bringing me back and the passion that I saw from these founders. And it reminded me of, you know, minority founders in the U S it's like, you got to work twice as hard. Capital's hard to get. And so I had worked so hard, you know, being a minority investor in, in the U.S. where, you know, I was part of a group called Black VC, which was their only mission is to take the 1% of Black investors to 4%, which the population 16%. So it's, it's not even close, you know, and that's a hard thing to do. And so, you know, I found a bit of that here as to how do I help founders. And many of the founders I met were, U.S. Ivy League educated. They were super capital efficient. They come from traditional businesses that are used to, you know, making money. And so all of those things really got to me as an investor. And then it all came wrapped in the fact that I could have much more of an impact here because the skills and the knowledge that I had that I can take from the U.S. from an institutional perspective were not here. And so could I help supercharged the ecosystem that had the spark and, you know, had the first six or eight years of, 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 you know, capital finally coming into the market and Pitchbrook was talking about how good the market was and there's 600 million people and growing middle class and high cell phone usage and high internet penetration, and all those other things. And like, then I just didn't want to go home because I fell in love with the, with the people, the culture and the food and a lot of other things. And then I'm like, I can't have the same impact sitting in Chicago or New York or San Francisco or Miami 
And I was just at the point of my career where that was more important to me. Yeah. And you felt like you, you felt like you'd, you'd kind of done the rest of it. Sure. You know, I wasn't here to make Silicon Valley billionaires more money. Right. And also those, the things that we're investing in now in my fund, we did do some things. We did some great like 3d printing and that reduces, you know, carbon emissions and, you know, and all of those things. And we could build houses for, you know, for a fraction of the price. And we did have some economic impact. So I'm not saying that, but it was, you know, it was for people that already had access to capital that were, you know, that, that were buying hundreds of thousands of, you know, the average home price here is 40, you know, 40,000 US. So it was like, how can I just, it's so much simpler here. The things, like I said, it's banking and everyday services and all these things that we take for granted. Buying and selling a home takes a year, you know, like you're like, what? (laughs) You know, and it's so all of these things, I, I think that's, and then overall the macroeconomic things you need as well. So as I met these, you know, startup founders, I started putting my own money to work because I'm like, man, you guys are great. And like, you just need a little capital and, and there's really good venture economics here. People raise half the money they do in the U S there, the, the labor, you know, labor costs are, you know, can be as low as a quarter here. The, the same amount of revenue gets, gets a lower valuation. So there was arbitrage here, <laughs> you know, there was, there was a way to make money. Yeah. Um, and if you could do good and do well, then all of that, you know, that, that if I could blend those together and then have a, an impact, that's what, that's what drove me. And so I just kept coming back and then, and then I stayed, <laughs> you know, so, so, you know. Yeah. And then like, how long ago, like, I mean, this was like pretty much during the pandemic. Yeah. Like, at what point did you, at what point did you come up with the idea of like actually starting a venture fund and starting to raise to invest into Mexican companies like properly rather than just doing it with your own money? Like um, thesis, bring the right partners in. Like when when did that whole idea? This is the idea for Puente Ventures. When did that come about? I mean, I kept saying I was the bridge, and you know, and so I'm not a marketing guy, but Puente means Spanish for, for you, Chris. I know you don't know any Spanish, so you know, we're limited outside of Cerveza and, and Baño, which is a good combination. But like, you know, it really is. You know, it 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 was never my plan, you know, and that's what's fun about life. And that's what's fun, you know, it just it wasn't. And it actually worked out to look like a plan because it was like, OK, come down here, get in the ecosystem, spend your own money. And, and fundraising is all storytelling. Right. So it's the story kept building itself as to like get ingrained in the ecosystem and get to know the funds and get to know the, the associations and the networks and all those other things you could get deal flow. Right. Then write a few checks. And then when you write a, when you write an angel check as an American and in many markets outside of the U S you get very popular and you get coffee, you know, coffee's paid for forever. And then it just kept snowballing and snowballing and snowballing. And then like, you know, my, my partner at the time, you know, my business partner, you know, at, at that time said, you have all this, you know, we have all this access, we have all this deal flow, we have all these things, like, let's just, our pockets are only so big, let's do this institutionally. And part of it was for us, and part of it was the ecosystem just needed needs more capital. And so there's 50 funds in Mexico, there's 2,000 in the U.S. 
So you can see the disparity and Mexico's half the population. So, and if you look at it as a percentage of GDP, which a lot of, which a lot of is the way that they rank markets, Mexico's well below Latin for percentage of GDP, well below India, well below China um, as emerging markets, and certainly well below the US when it comes to venture investment. And so part of that, Chris, is change from create a fund and my sort of next iteration is create general partners here. And so my new initiative, you know, it's not new, but I said, great, we can raise one fund and whether it's a million dollars or a hundred million dollars, it's still just one fund and you can only have so much impact. What I realized here is there needs to be so many more funds and the, and the greater impact can be, how can I teach aspiring general partners to raise funds three, five, seven, 10, 20 years from now, you know, the associates, analysts, principals, you know, of today to be the next generation. Because if I can create 20 funds over the next five years, because I've taught people how to invest institutionally and do that, then that's a much greater impact than Sean and his one fund, right? So are you, and you, are you talking about like, like I know you're big on employing local people, right? Like, are you talking about doing that with with Mexicans, like with local? Oh, absolutely. I, like, I, I'm not here to hire, you know, <laughs> expats. Like, you know, I, I'm, it, it defeats the purpose, right? The purpose is, you know, it's it's teach the people to fish, not fish for them, right? It's it's, and that doesn't. I'm not here to make Americans more money. I'm here to make. I'm here to empower Mexicans and and you know Latin Americans to create their own wealth right and the money that you spend here will create jobs and will create founders that hopefully have exits that will reinvest in the you know and then if you take the aspiring fund managers here you teach them how to invest you know source invest diligence operate you do those other things and so if i can retire to a mexican beach one day I'd like to sit back and look at like, I call it the, uh, you know, the Bill Belichick coaching career, right? It's, it's, you know, if you look at the NFL, how many coaches came from Bill, right? Or started underneath him. And like that's his impact is much greater than seven Super Bowls with Brady. It's that, you know, 20 coaches have come from his, you know, and he's changed the NFL in, in a different way. So I use that analogy a bit because one fund is a drop in the bucket. 20, 20 funds in 10 years is a meaningful change. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like I think, like I've I've seen this in my time in Mexico. Like it's very difficult for normal Mexicans to find anything that's going to create them real wealth and actually like have a positive impact on their country. Like so many normal Mexicans that I've met who you know like come from similar places that you or I do, just like normal kids growing up. Like their opportunities are limited, and. You know, like, I mean, I've, I, you know, I know people that have been like public servants, police officers, but they end up doing like, you know, some, some other shit because it makes more money. Like there's no opportunities to like really create wealth and like push yourself forward. Um, like the more you can do that and show them the way, because like Mexicans, not, not through their own fault, but Mexico as a country can be very insular. Um, you know, like I think it's, whether it's by design or whether it's just the way things are, like I think most of them don't really understand anything outside of Mexico. 
And the more you can like come and show them what they can do just with a, a little bit of know-how um, and especially with a growing economy, like that's, that's an incredible thing. Like that's a true legacy, like something that you can be proud of leaving behind. Yeah. I mean, like every country, whether it's Mexico, Colombia, Chile, anywhere, the U, you know, Britain, <laughs> the US, it's all complicated. There's all different types of people. Like that's less, you know, my, I understand at the very, very, very minuscule surface level, this, this place. And I don't, I don't choose to say that I understand it because if I, even if I spend the next 40 years here, I still won't understand it the way that the locals have. And I can't ever do that. And so I think the way that I try to do that is to empower the people that are here, um, the best of my ability. Um, and you know, try to give them as many opportunities within, within the confines of whatever they, you know, whatever is here to do what they can. And, you know, I, I, we don't, you know, I think you from where you're from, me from where I'm from, we don't grow up with the same restrictions around capital or credit or, you know, all these other things. And so it's for us coming in, it's, it's, we're just not used to it. And for them it is. And so I don't ever pretend to try to, to try to understand it or change it or do anything like that. I just like, you tell me what we can and can't do. Yeah. <laughs> Here's how it's done somewhere else. Can you apply that here in the best way possible to get to the best possible outcome? And if you can, you can, and if you can't, you can't, and it's, and it's acceptable. Um, but, you know, please guide me down the path because I don't know and I don't want to pretend to, you know, I don't want to pretend to know. Yeah, I understand. Um, and speaking of what you can and can't do, like, how do you find, I mean, how do you find the regulatory environment within venture in Mexico compared to the US, compared to Europe? Yeah, I mean, I don't know Europe as well as you two. Um, in the US, I'm, I'm pretty focused around, you know, mostly uh, fintech and, you know, prop tech and some other yeah. things. Yeah. The, the way that I try to solve regulatory issues as a foreigner is to partner with locals <laughs> who know regulations. And, you know, like I, the only way that I have done a deal is with a local co-investor. Like I'm not naive enough to think that I can do this without a local who understands the things that I don't understand. Just like I can, I could bring some things to the table that come from a different place that may or may not be applicable here. And there's plenty of stuff that I, I'm like, Hey, why can't you do this? They're like, you can't do that. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I didn't know. Right. So again, it's about partnering with local ecosystem, local investors, you know, understanding that have been in the market for decades and finding the right legal resources and, you know, other things and just sort of creating the network of partnerships locally. I'll never be the expert the way that the locals will. And so, you know, my value add is, is different. And, but that's, that's how you do it in, and the same way you do it in the U S is like, there's somebody that's better than me at regulation somewhere else. And so you, you partner with them, use them as a diligence point and, you know, hopefully things don't change. I, I would hear some, you know, less things are regulated. So 
the worry for me is sort of not so much about what's here today. It's, it's what can come five years from now that can kill a business. And that's the bigger worry on the regulatory side is like knowing what the landscape is today. Mm -hmm. Many emerging markets. I saw this in Singapore when I was there. You know, I saw this in just in other places and it was like a regulation change comes in for a fintech or an insure tech or a prop tech, and then it kills businesses. And they're not doing it to do that. They're doing it to put regulations in, which are, you know, which many times are, are good, but that's what you need to worry about as an investor and you can control it. So you do what you can, the best you can, when you can, and, and try to get as much information as possible. Yeah. Um, and like talking about the ecosystem in Mexico, like the startup ecosystem, like how have you, I mean, how do you find it as in like working with founders? Like how do you, how do you feel the environment is there from an innovation standpoint? Like what's the spirit like? Yeah. Um, and how has it changed since you've been there? Like, is it, I mean, for me, well, it's just continuing to get bigger and better. Well, I would say in 2020, 2021, 2022, uh, it was palpable on the streets. You could walk by the cafes in certain neighborhoods and hear investors talking. And I was one of those people and you could just see it, feel it, hear it. Lots of energy. Look, the markets have done what they've done for venture and for capital, and that's affected every part of the world. And it, it's affected here. It, it's not as rah-rah as it used to be um, when capital dries up. It's We're so closely connected here to, although there's lots of funds here, you know, many LPs are, are cross-border. Many of, you know, we're very, and, and it's sort of canary in the coal mine. In, in the U.S. versus versus here. I was going to call you that at the start of this fucking call. Yeah. I was going to be like, here he is, the original Kerry down the Canary down the Mexican coal mine. Yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> I'm not the first one to be here. I'm not the last. You know, I, I know I, you know, and I'm I'm certainly no expert. I think I'm just here trying to do what I what I do. I mean, I I appreciate the nice things people say about me, but like it, it's all about enabling the locals. <laughs> more than more than for me and and but there is i do have some unique access that, that many locals don't and i think you know they a lot of the questions i get from locals are just what's happening across the border when do you think it's coming here and and those type of things and so i i hopefully can give them you know a bit of a foreshadowing of what's what's going to happen or what you know what's what's happening in circles in the us uh, things are different. Some things are, you know, like housing markets different here than the U.S. Like housing market in the U.S. goes up and down, up and down, up and down. Here, the rates are always terrible. So, you know, terrible, but I just mean high. So, like, you know, there's just more consistency. Things don't move as much. Um, you know, is that, I, again, is that by design or is it just because, like, it's a different kind of economy? Like most Mexicans don't choose to own their own home. Like it's just... Yeah. No, well, it's the opposite. I mean, most there's no sort of rental market here. Um, so most people wait until they, you know, they're at home until they get married, then they move out and people want to own their homes. There's no multifamily market here. So, you know, you have a dynamic of, you know, that, that there's just, there's no multifamily <laughs> here, very little, you, you know. And so people want to own their home. They, they pay for things in cash. You know, more, it's ten, only 10% of, of Mexicans have a mortgage. So there's a, you know, but 
that's just the way it is. And so a lot of these companies are looking to improve the time from that year, you know, six months to a year down, improve the access to credit, improve a lot of things. So there's a lot of stuff in housing to fix, but like every country, housing shortages, people are not building for lower income. You know, it's the problems are the same across the globe. They're just, they're just, they, they can be exponentially larger, more impactful in a place that that's, that's harder to have credit. Right. So um, it's just different. Many people can't afford a $400,000 home in the U S cause that's the average home price. They can't afford a $40,000 home cause that's the average home price here. So it's, it's just a few zeros and, and the reasons are different. Um, but the impact is still the same is that, you know, there's housing shortages across the globe. And, and so, you know, that's there. So I, I, I appreciate a lot of the companies here trying to solve this sort of most fundamental thing that people want to do. And that's being a home. And, and it's not like, the U.S. where where people are okay with renting, they want to own their own piece of property, and they will do you know whatever it takes to you know to do that, and and um, so it's it's definitely different culturally. Yeah, clear. Talking generally, like, and I don't know whether this may be different from Mexico to to other places, but like. What are the things that you look for? Like putting your general partner hat on for a second. Like what are the things that you look for in an investment? Like what's a good investment for you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, one that makes a lot of money? No. Um, so I think, uh, you know, a good investment to me because I'm so, because I'm so early on, you know, I don't have a ton of data, right? I, I'm not a later stage investor with, you know, great, knowing all the right channels and distribution and this is about you know putting fuel on the fire and i'm going to see a pro forma that i can look back three years and and forecast out so i i would say the like and this doesn't this isn't a latin american specific thing like i want a company that's a that's a that's a company not a product and i think a lot of people build products yeah and I have no idea how that's going to turn into a company. So that, that's that's definitely one of the first things that I look at. Um, any of the deals that I put my own money into, I've spent six months with the founder before I put money in because I want to know who they are. You've met some of my founders before. They're mm -hmm. stand-up people. I've validated them not only through you know my networks here locally, and you know I. I get a question all the time, like, what happens if someone runs off with my money? And I'm like, most of these founders have more money than you do, but you know, they just don't like, or I'm sorry, their founder families do, you know, like this isn't a two guys in a garage. It's not how it works in many of these countries. Many of the founders come from very wealthy family from traditional businesses, but they can't get money from their traditional business family because they don't understand venture. And so it's really just, so certainly validating founders through you know whichever network i can we we've we have like a compliance person attorney that you know that just helps us do that and and you have to validate but you would do that anyway um i think investors feel more comfortable if they're bringing foreign capital to this country that way if if, the, if you do you know uh, the amount of diligence that you need um i look at the real market because it's very easy for people in Mexico to say this is for Spanish speaking Latam and that's 550 million, you know, five, well, 
650 minus, minus 300. So it's, you know, 350 million people. So just whatever my thing is times, whatever price times 350 million. And that's, and that's addressable. And so, you know, one of the things that's interesting here, Latin America is grouped together because of language, the same way Europe isn't. And so it's a sort of continuous, you know, landmass. But you know, in Europe, that the Portuguese and the Hungarians don't have much in common, <laughs> but they're on the same landmass, right? And if they all spoke the same language, maybe, you know, and so people lump Latin America, like everyone speaks Spanish, it's fine. Like, yes, you don't have to write different code for different languages, but I can't figure out regulations in Mexico, let alone in Colombia, Peru, Argentina, like it's too hard to go across that way. So I think a lot of, you know, is this, what market is it? Is it Mexico only? Can this go to the U.S.? Can it go cross border south? Can it do a lot of those things is, is something that I look for. Um, founders with previous domain knowledge in, in the space that they are trying to tackle. Um, I love Goldman private equity guys, but, you know, if they want to do private equity and then start an insurance business in Mexico, why? Like what, what, you know, so, I mean, I just, so part of it is, have you operated? Do you have expertise? You know, um, there's a lot of diverse founding teams here. There's a lot of Mexicans that have partnered with Argentinians, with Colombians. I, re I really like that. Yeah. Um, you know, in most of these countries, having someone or someone on the founding team or a founder that's from that country that you're originally selling into is very helpful. Uh, it's the way business gets done in many places here. And so finding the right teams um, and the right makeup and the right background and the right domain expertise is 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 pretty critical to what I'm looking for. And I got to believe in the founder, you know, like I know people say that all the time, but like it's hard to measure founder perseverance. Um, there's no way to do that besides spending time with them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you and I have talked a lot about entrepreneurship and other things. And like, it's an impossible gauge to say, like, when things get rough and we go into a market like we're in, are they going to hightail it and quit? Or are they going to figure out a way to get it done? And is the team together going to last through the stormy weather? And there's no exact science. It's just spending time around people. Uh, I was lucky to have a six month accelerator in my last fund. So we got to spend six months with them and I knew their spouse's name. I knew if their dog and cat's name and I knew their kids and I knew if they hated each other and I knew all this other stuff before we really made a lot of investment decisions. And it was so helpful because, you know, I was almost a prisoner of too much information because I just knew everything about them and you know, a lot of times that allowed me to do an invest, you know, to, to approve an investment or give my, you know, stamp of approval. And the only way to do that is to spend time with people. For sure. For sure. Like, I think, yeah, when it really comes down to it, like perseverance and your own spirit will take you further than being technically savvy or, you know, whatever, or, or you yeah, know, the good founders know. figure it out. <laughs> like they, yeah. they do. I, I've, in, I've invested. If they, if they don't know, they'll find someone that does to help them. Like they're humble in that sense. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, okay. So like in terms of like the market developing in Mexico, like how do you see the next five, 10 years 
And then I know you don't want to group them all together and neither do I, but like people do. Like, how do you see that as, how do you see that translating to Latin America, other countries there? Like, is it comparable? Is Mexico further ahead? Are other places further ahead? Like, yeah. are there any comparisons to be made? Yeah, what was the first question again? Uh, I mean, my answer is how do you see how do you see um, how do you see Mexico developing in the next like five? Yeah, years? well, I mean, I think in a general have, sense. Yeah, I think you have to talk about you know the headlines are are there for everyone to see. I'm not going to tell anyone here you know something they don't know. Everyone could see Tesla coming in, nearshoring, Chinese companies building factories here. You know, geopolitical stuff with China and and Eastern Europe you know, bringing manufacturing to the near shore instead of the offshore. And so all of those macro things are great. The pesos just doing insanely well against the dollar now. And, you know, I think you just have a lot of macro economic um, forces that are beneficial to Mexico and Mexico for better or for worse shares a, you know, thousands of kilometer border with, with the U S and so it has access to other countries don't. And many people from North of the border have at least come to the country. It's, you know, talking India or China where they're like, yeah, I know it's great, but it's so far away. I don't even know what that is. It's halfway around the world. And, you know, so I think Mexico is just positioned from an economy perspective it's, it's skewed, you know, under 35, like many emerging markets. And so you have people growing up digital first and because 75% internet and smartphone penetration, almost twice the, the internet penetration is India. You've got the ability for services to be done digital. Um, you know, my general sense is people still don't trust many institutions here. And so, you know, getting people onto digital platforms everything runs through WhatsApp here. You can't build an application. It's not <laughs> integrated with that because it just is the way people function. And so no one will download an app, you know, they need to, it needs to be integrated there. So I think, you know, and the startups are more capital efficient and they raise less money and all those things. So I think the ecosystem, the macro economic trends are in Mexico's favor. The, you know, I, the, the, the economics of startups are, you know, are good in, in, and it's hard in this market because it's not a, you know, it's not a normal market. It's, you know, it's, it's more of a down and up and it's not very stable right now. So we don't know where the bottom is. And like 2021 was, was, you know, not a normal market. I don't know if 2023 is a normal market. It's probably, you know, probably more 2019 if you go back to. So, I mean, I think it's some, in some stables, but all the macro stuff is pointing in the right direction, which gives Mexico and, and geography gives Mexico an advantage over the rest of Latin America. Now, Brazil is really considered its own ecosystem and, and Brazil is much further ahead. Mm -hmm. um, Brazil had the advantage that they've got really big venture funds there. They've been, they've been doing it longer and a lot of Brazilians invested in Brazil. Um, and a lot of other countries took their money out of, you know, Latin American countries take their money out and put it in the U S so there's sort of less internal investment and, 
you know, so we, we tend to leave Brazil out of Latin America talking about, you know, venture and startup and all those, and, and all those other things. Every country has their own unique set of, of challenges, you know, Venezuela has geopolitical and, you know, and Argentina has currency and you know, all these other, you know, you know, and economy and all these other things. And so, you know, countries like Chile have supported themselves and you're surprised how many, you know, great companies have come out of this small 15, you know, 15 million, 20 million people country. And, and there's a lot of wealth there due to mining and, and other things. And so each country is, is, is separated. Mexico has the advantage of geography and, yeah. and shared border. And so most of those, those countries are between, you know, 10 and 30 million people. They're not big enough to sustain massive venture exits or massive venture growth. And so they end up here. And, you know, I think that's the advantage too, is you're going to have all of these great ideas, you know, come to a centralized place and sort of the largest market with the closest geography and all the macroeconomics. So I'm very bullish on the market. If I wasn't, well, you should be, I, I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't be here, um, you know, but I, but I think any, you know, any foreigner that comes, I, you know, I talked to a guy today that was a, uh, a founder in India. He was a founder in the US, took his company all the way public, went to India, sort of fell in love with, with, with India, found an Indian, you know, general partner to go with there. And he is now, you know, he's got a pre-seed and seed fund in Bangalore, India. And, you know, he reminds me of, you know, when I looked at him today, I go, that's me a few years from now. And, you know, we had this really cool story of just like, watching it develop. And he said many of the things that I said, and we had many of the same challenges and we had many of the things and, and you sort of have to take a risk and people are going to call you crazy and say, why not just come home? Why not just do it here? Why not just take the easy pass? What are you doing down there? Like, you never didn't take Spanish in high school. And I'm like, it is the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> you move to a country, don't, you know, you, you speak like a seven year old and I try to do business and, and, but, Again, I think, you know, when I look back many years from now, it will be the impact that that we had here. And I joke with my, you know, with my Mexico City friends or Mexican friends that like, we're going to look back 10 years from now and we're going to laugh yeah. and say, do you remember when, you know, you remember 10 years ago where there were 50 funds here and not, you know, not 100 and, and things were much harder and and the apps that we're using today were built then and all these other things. And so I think that's, that's inspiring. Um, it's challenging when you're in the middle of it and it's challenging when you're, you know, in the middle of a tough, you know, economic cycle for most of the world. And so if it's not hard, it's not worth it. <laughs> and I told you, you know, and I've told this many times, like, just walking down the street and seeing the people that are here and seeing the opportunity and just the growth of the city in three years and being an international destination and all of the capital and all the people and all the advances and all those other, you know, things here that it's, and you're asking an expat, you know, but you know, there is, I know this place will be better, you know, at better is the wrong word. I know this place will be different. Um, you know, in the next decade across the country. Um, it's not better. It's just, yeah, it's not better. It'll, like, be better. it'll be better for the people. Better. Yeah. I mean, I, I think 
I don't even know, you know, I don't like the term using better at all. And, and, and it's the wrong word to use. It will be different. And I don't know if, if different, good, different, bad. It like every place will be different. This is not a, this is not a Mexico thing. It's a Africa thing. It's an, it's an India thing. It's a U.S. thing. It's a UK thing. Like places will be different. You know, I we think ultimately like the individual will be more empowered. Hopefully. I, and, think. Like, I, I hope so too. I hope so too. And I hope that, that I have a lot of hope um just that things will that the opportunities will be there for for life to be right. easier faster more efficient those type of things whether that happens or not i don't know i can't i can't tell but like in a in an you know quote unquote emerging market the 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 small impacts make a big difference versus when you're back in the us or the uk you don't see them like you see them in a place like this no no you can literally see it happening before your eyes there yeah um so just like to finish off i don't want to like keep you forever um but like how what do you what do you want to achieve with the rest of your career like why do you still keep going like i know like you want to make a difference in mexico but like is there like an end goal for you, like in your career where you'll say, okay, enough now, like, I'm going to stop, like, I'm going to, I'm going to chill out, I'm going to retire, like, I'm not going to take this crazy pressure on myself. Yeah. How do you, like, you're one of the chillest people I've ever met in any walk of life. How do you deal with the pressure of yeah. doing the job that you do? Um, I don't know when there's ever a time where I'll say I'm done. And hopefully my hope is that I, I, I have this knowledge transfer to other people that can continue the path that I started. Yeah. And it's theirs to own, not mine. And whatever they do with it, they do with it. I, I, it would like the biggest shame for me is to take the last 25 years of things that I've doing and take it with me. You know, it's not the Ferrari that sits there and you can't like, you can actively pass it to somebody else. And whether it's generational storytelling, right. Or, you know, or this, it's just like, these are the things that these are the experiences that I have and that I've done. And that some of some pieces of that may or may not be valuable. Take the stuff that is, and then pass it on to somebody else or, or do that. So that never ends. Hopefully Chris, like that doesn't mean that I won't, you know, do the same grind every day. And, you know, I tease about having the, you know, the beach house in Tobas Santos. I've never even been there. I don't even know what that means, but it, you know, but it sounds nice. Um, but that doesn't mean that I won't have Starlink and I won't pick up the phone and I won't like, you know, and I won't keep doing that stuff. So that's, I think, there isn't really the end game to it where it's done because I think I'll keep getting older, getting more experience, getting more things. And that's more stuff that I can then, you know, then I can pass down. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, yeah, I think there, there isn't an end game. And so the knowledge that you can, that you can pass down is infinite. And, you know, not to get too sappy, but it just is. It, it, hopefully it just keeps going and keeps going and people take their own experiences on top of that and they make it their own and you keep going and keep going. So 
Yeah, I would say that's uh, that's about as sappy as I'm going to get today. And I appreciate you saying I'm chill. How do I deal with the pressure? The pressure comes from me always within. I everyone has their own sort of definitions of success, um, and you know, there's an interesting study about people do things for three things: so for money, for impact, or for recognition. It really breaks down to those three. And you just have to figure out sort of where you lie. Money has just never been it for me. Um, recognition is nice. It feels a little like I get a little embarrassed, even as outgoing as I am. Like it's, you know, like I, I just like that's not it. And so I know where I fall on the impact side. And it's impossible to measure impact because it can be one person, one event, some other thing. Like I've, I've been impacted by people. I know that if I... If I leave tomorrow and never come back, I've done quote unquote enough, <laughs> you know, they, like I've done enough to leave an impact on enough people that they can carry that forward. And whether, you know, and whether that's people that work for you or whether that's all these other things when you're, that's just been my North star. And so, you know, I, I hope that continues and, and I'm looking forward to continuing to learn because every day I learn something new here because I'm not from here. I don't understand everything. I need to rely on people that are from here. And I'm a creature of stimuli. Remember I told you that, right? And so this place gives me, when you go to a place where you've got to, you know, you've got to learn so many things every day and depend on so many other people just to get by, it is, it feeds my it feeds my curiosity to learn and oh yeah and so you know I've spent, yeah. yeah I've spent you know forty years in one place I can spend forty in a different and so you know like that so anyway hopefully yeah, that yeah. answered your question yeah it does um, well look you know how much I love you you know how much of a difference you've made in my life and I'll be forever grateful for you for all of the things that you've taught me professionally and personally um you do an amazing thing sean and i know god or goodwill is with you and i know you'll end up doing more incredible things for mexico and for wherever else you choose to do them um yeah i like i really appreciate you doing this um and sharing and I hope it's interesting, useful, insightful for people. Um, and keep doing what you're doing, man. Um, well, thank you for the kind words. I feel the same, you know, that. And before we both start crying, I'll get off the phone. But uh, let me, uh, uh, congratulations on your new endeavor. Thank and, you. And, uh, you know, all that life brings you. And, and we'll, we will uh, we'll see where it goes. That's the fun part, right? Absolutely, my friend. Okay. We'll talk soon. All right, bud. Thank you. Cheers.